crawling under wires and cords just to get over here to my chair. All for the podcast. Have to. All for the podcast. Well, we want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs along with TJ Darty, and we are the Reformed Informants. Dude. You think you'll ever let me do that intro? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Just, Pro- next episode, actually. We'll see. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I was just thinking about that. I'll, I'll give you uh, the reins. The, I'll give you control. I just didn't know if you trusted me to do that. I was just thinking about it. <laughs> I didn't know if I could handle such a high, high responsibility. <laughs> Dude, this weather, I, I have to comment on it because yeah. this is typical Texas weather. We, a, tr- a true witness of God and His creation, right? We, was that Acts fourteen? That we 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 witnessed it this afternoon, but it did not keep us out of the studio. Yeah, it, it didn't. What were some of the things I was texting you? <laughs> I was cracking myself up. What was I saying? No matter how much it, it storms, the informants will still inform. Yeah. No matter how hard it pours, we will still record. Yeah, we're gonna inform. It's right. Didn't didn't keep us out. Couldn't couldn't keep us away. It, so if. I mean, if there happens to be any malfunctions, if for some yeah. reason we lose power, we're right. going to be good on the podcast, but we're trying to get video yes. up and going on YouTube, so video may be cut, or actually yeah. in the dark, well, I guess. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. We're, we got the studio lit up right now, though. Looks good in here. Yep. All right, T, what we got today? Episode 10. Yeah, episode 10. Um, so we just kind of finished our little mini-series, so to speak, on bibliology, um, and I thought it would be helpful um, to have a discussion about Bible translations. Um, one of the things that we highlight kind of in that intro, right, that uh, Reformed Informants is this podcast where we're dealing with biblical exposition, which we've done a little bit, right? We've done some Acts 17. Um, we're hoping to do one um, here soon on Philippians 4 and just kind of working through some biblical texts to demonstrate um, how to... Um, exposit or expose or understand the meaning of scripture. We also focus on systematic theology, right? Like that's kind of the the crux and the emphasis on us, uh, on the podcast as a whole. But we also want to think about practical application. Like this is not just um, theology and and study of God's word just for the sake of doing it or for the academy, but how is this real and practical? Right. Um, and I thought this is a good and effective way to address some practical issues. We've talked about the Bible. We've talked about God's preservation of the word. We've talked about um, the canonization of scripture, but let's break it down. And it's 2019. I need a Bible. There's a lot of them out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's look at translations. Yeah, I, re- I remember at least... Uh, when I was first converted, of course, I had Bibles at the house because mm-hmm. I grew up in the church. Um, but when I was first converted and wanted to go out and purchase my own Bible and make it my own and actually own it, right? Right. I, I remember walking into a Christian bookstore and <laughs> I'm like, goodness gracious. Like, <laughs> Turned around and walked out. Yeah, of how, how many translations could there possibly be? And I almost felt overwhelmed mm-hmm. um, to the point where, you know... I, I could have just bailed out of there because I just didn't know what to do. So I yeah, think this, this is, episode is going to at least steer, um, at least steer us in the right direction on trying to purchase a Bible and which right. ones we should get translation wise. Right. And, I think, and I think all I those mentioned, things. yeah, I think I mentioned to you, uh, this morning, um, Lance and I were crushing some work out this morning. So we've been <laughs> six eight. Yeah, just been just been really getting after it lately. Uh, but this morning, I think I was telling you, this is one of the questions that I get most frequently in the church. Um, just, hey, you're a guy that has studied God's word. I was in 
the Christian bookstore. I was on Amazon. I saw, I just, you know, Googled, hey, let me get a Bible. And there's so many options. And so how do I narrow it down? And not just how do I narrow it down, but I see all kinds of other people with different Bibles. How do I know who to trust? Um, What are the differences between them? Does it even matter? So I think this is a question that I have just dealt with so often that I think it's important and it's worth um, discussing just because it's so prevalent. Yeah, so it's an extremely important question for uh, people that are on church staff. Yes. But I, I would also argue that it's just an important question that every Christian should be able to answer. Yeah, I, okay, so so why? Let, let's jump into this a little bit. Why does this matter? Um, why deal with the topic of translations? Um, does this affect the message of the Bible? Like, why, why are we doing this? Why, why are we having yeah. this conversation? Well, we know Scripture was written in Hebrew. A little portion of the Old Testament was written in Aramaic mm-hmm. and then in Greek. So if we come to terms with, okay, I, I don't know Hebrew and Greek, but I do know English. Yes. Okay. Is Hopefully. that English translation, is is it an accurate representation or translation of the Word of God? And would we still consider it the Word of God? Yeah, uh, I think this is an important distinction. You know, I've, I've spent some time in the mission field in um, West Africa. And while I was there, one of the key um, arguments and one of the key apologetics um, uh, methods for engaging with the Muslim community was to say, listen, in Islam, if you don't read the Quran in Aramaic, you're not really reading revealed uh, divinely inspired truth, right? That's that's the way that they understand. It's so. In other words, you have to learn God's language to learn what God has said. Whereas we would say that Bible translation takes the Word of God and makes it available to the people of God. So this is a uh, and we we've you've mentioned this before with those who have labored and given their lives to preserve the Word of God and to just go through the intense. Um, academic rigor to make it available in other languages. Right. right? And so it's a preservation and a conveyance of the Word of God, and it is still um, representative of God's Word. Right. Yeah, so does a translation jeopardize the message of the Bible? We would say absolutely not. Of course not. Absolutely not. We can go back to the early portions of Genesis, which... I don't, I don't even think we planned a reference every episode, but we, we continue to go up, back right? there. And I, I think we can make the argument that God is sovereign over languages, and, and we see that at, at the Tower of Babel. And, and why I reference that or why I'm even saying that is because obviously God is sovereign over giving his word in those three ancient languages, but he's also sovereign in allowing his word to be preserved and copied into the language of the people. Yeah, and, and I think you mentioned Genesis. Well, fast forward to Revelation. Who's standing around the throne, right? Like people from every tribe and people and nation and tongue. Um, there will be multiple languages represented in heaven. Um, in fact, I believe that this is a way in which we can manifest the glory of God in an even greater degree. If, if you've ever heard um, God being worshipped in other languages, you recognize that, hey, this is bigger than me. Right? It's bigger than where we are in Texas. Um, it's bigger than English. It's bigger than America. It, it, the, God is a God of his creation, and that includes those languages. So, right. so in other words, we can argue that to 
um, translate the original text into a different language is to still preserve the message because God is sovereign over that. Yeah, absolutely. God's message, um, God, God's message isn't somehow depleted okay, that's based good. on the language that the scripture is in. That's that's good. That's important for us to realize. I yeah, think, I think that's helpful. We we would say that having the Bible in our own language is a beautiful and wonderful yeah. grace. It's it, exactly. Right? It okay, so speaking of the Bible in our own language, let's hone in on English. Um I'm, we're going to assume that that's where our audience <laughs> is. Um so English translation, how many English translations are there? of the Bible. When you start thinking about different versions or even partial translations and I mean the numbers are are absurd. Yeah, the first time I walked into a Christian bookstore again, I thought there were like 2000 different yeah. translations. Yeah. There there's but, there's multiple there's many thousands of languages that the Bible has been translated into. English is by far the most representative in terms of total translations. You're looking at uh, more than 450 versions of the Bible that have been uh, published and translated into the English language. Why, why would we say English is kind of topping that list or dominating that list? or uh, Just from practicality purposes, I, I so. as far as the English language spreading across the entire world, it's almost universal I think language. so. I think that's what we're dealing with a lot of, and, and, and just where scholarship is, right? Like this is where... Um, Whereas most of those in perhaps like the German, uh, Luther's translation into German was so widely accepted that it was never really, like English had the King James, but in modern English, it's just nobody's ever satisfied. We we constantly have to, and of course, if you don't know this, the printing of the Bible is a money-making business. So there is money to be had in this game, and people will translate... um, into English because that's where Bibles are being purchased. Unfortunately, uh, uh, that's yeah. just a reality. Uh, it's not worth. Uh, we don't need to dig into that, but that's just that's where we are. Um, but we have all of these languages, or all excuse me, all of these versions of the Bible into the English language. How many different versions do you think you own? Oh man, I, I bet I would say hard copies. Hard copies in my house or in my office. I've probably got. I probably only have five or six. Um, mainly because I there's only there's only so much value that can come from some of them, but I probably I I maybe even have more. How many do you? Yeah, have? I, I don't I, half a dozen probably. Okay. I, yeah, yeah. I think probably the ones at least that we're going to talk about or mention. Yeah, are, are the ones that I have. I think that again we're talking about more than 450 mm-hmm. translations um, in the English language. I, I mean, it would you could get your hand on all of those, but your mm-hmm. you know run of the mill Christian bookstore, used bookstore, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever probably isn't going to have all of those. Right, the, like you know you can Google right, like we've got the online database of every English language translation available. Um, the Bible app is going to have all of these and and you know plenty more. But which ones which ones come to mind? I know we don't have this like listed out. We don't have a sheet in front of us or a uh, a web page pulled up. At least I don't. Maybe you do. But uh, which ones come to mind when you think popular? Uh, and, and I'm not even thinking in terms of like 
commentator stuff. I'm talking, which ones do you see people lugging into church on an average Sunday morning? Which yeah. like kind of the which ones? Well, I go, well, I go to Reformed Church, so <laughs> okay, so not your church, <laughs> but maybe somebody else's church, or maybe the broad evangelical, maybe even the uneducated evangelical that goes to a, a church that they don't even know what's being taught. Yeah. What 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 versions are we gonna see? Yeah, I think '80s and '90s and early 2000s. You're gonna see the NIV. Yeah, like that I, swept I just the remember. Nation, right? Yeah, I remember as a kid that, you know, I, I did have an NIV Bible that my parents got me, and then maybe an NIV Study Bible that uh, mm-hmm. I think they got me at some point um, when I was in high school. Um, so I would say that translation was just widespread. Yeah. But but I would argue that over the last decade or so, and I don't know the exact date the translation was actually published, but I would say the ESV mm-hmm. has. I don't know, kind of the more popular mm-hmm. or common translation, maybe. Mm-hmm. That's Yeah, I grew up on the NIV. I've got an ESV in my hand right now. Um, of course, you use the NASB, um, New American Standard Bible. Um, some of the other more common ones, of course, the King James Bible um, from ages before had been the standard. Um, other Bibles you might see... New Living Translation, right? NLT, New Living, right? Um, Holman Christian, Holman would Christian, be one. The, the, the Southern Baptist translation. There. Um, okay, what I like about the Holman Christian, this is just a side note, is everywhere in the New Testament where the Greek word doulos shows up, yeah. a majority of the time in English translations, that word doulos servant. is translated servant, uh-huh. but Holman Christian. Uh, places slave, slave in there every time. I don't think I knew that. I, I, I believe they also do something in the Old Testament where uh, Yahweh appears. I believe they translate that, whereas most do the all caps, Lord. I, I think they may do something different there. Don't quote me on that. I'm yeah. not sure. Um, but that that is that is another uh, version. Of course, the message, uh, Eugene Peterson, we'll, we'll have something to say about that a little bit later. Um what, what am I missing? RSV? Well, yeah, you said the NASB, New uh-huh. American Standard. I think I remember reading an article a couple years back that, you know, there isn't a lot of the Christian population that uses that translation, which in, in some respects is a, a little disappointing because yeah. I think we would argue, and most people probably would, that that is the the best English translation of the Bible. Okay, so we we've mentioned some of these. You, you're going to put your foot in and say NASB is the best. What do you mean by the best? Like like are the other ones just subpar? They just <laughs> the the guys that they got on the committee to translate didn't know their Hebrew and Greek very well, and so they you know they they tried but they didn't quite get it. And the NASB is the <laughs> only one that knows Greek. Like I I would. I'm playing devil's advocate yeah. here. Why? Why is that the best? Um, well, yeah, we would say the translation committees or the translation teams. Um, we we would say that they all, regardless of the translation, are putting in a massive amount of work, a huge project, and that's a gift to the church. I, I cannot like, do that. That's right. There's there's something to be said about those who labor. Um, I, I know when I first began seminary studies, there was a, a camp of people that said, why in the world would you bother learning Greek and Hebrew? Well, there's a, there's a reason for that. I won't even get into that, but there are there are men who have given their lives to the translation and study of those languages. And what that does is that makes available to the common person the truth behind those things, right? Like if, if we don't have people who are doing those uh, translations, 
we don't have access to the Word of God. That's lacking in a lot of other right. languages. So yeah. that's a, a tremendous gift of the church. Tremendous. And months and months and years of time and study beforehand and yes. being educated in those languages yes. and translating into English. But then the amount of time they spend with the actual translation itself. So going back to the New American Standard, I think we would argue that that would be uh, the best English translation because that one focuses specifically on translating uh, the ancient texts um, word for word. Okay. When you say word for word, do you mean literally every word in the Greek has a equivalent in the English and it's in the exact word order and it is... It is like laid on top of one another. They would ma- match perfectly. Right. Well, yeah, Greek and English or Hebrew and English translated perfectly like that word for word for word for word, right? I think that that would be the goal and objective. But when you're crossing over with languages, you're going to run into problems where yeah. maybe there isn't an English word for this particular Greek word. That's right. And a lot of a lot of phrases, especially as you get into Hebrew, a lot of nuances, and, and even in Greek, a lot of nuances are packed into the tense, uh, the, the the verb uh, or noun ending, um, certain um, spelling variants. All of those things show up in a translation, so you don't have a literal word for word. Now, there, there are attempts to do that as, as tools, but they don't make sense um, because... Greek has a, and I'm just thinking about Greek because it's it's more familiar. Greek has the ability to place words in different order in the sentence to emphasize things. Um, so you might have the last word in the English sentence is placed up front in Greek for emphasis. Well, that doesn't make any sense to the English mind, right? So, but you, you mentioned the NASB is the most word for word. Um, and so when we use a, we'll, we'll use these two uh, terms to identify this. It's either formal equivalence or dynamic equivalence. Uh, formal equivalence seeks to take the um, the Greek or the Hebrew and in the most thoughtful and intentional way possible preserve the words of the original language and convey those words into English while as the dynamic equivalent says, okay, let's see what this means in the original, get the thought, get the meaning, and then turn that into an English phrase that makes the most sense in English. Is that yeah, fair to say? Yeah, that, that would be the, the main difference between um, the NAS and the NIV, okay. or the ESV mm-hmm. and the NIV. Uh, when we're talking about a literal word-for-word translation, um, as compared to a mm-hmm. thought for thought, that, that's what you see. Again, we would say that the NIV in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s was the main translation mm-hmm. everybody was using. Uh, so their Bible study and their Bible reading was reading a translation that was a thought for thought, like you just yes. explained. So yes. there has been a shift in the last decade or so to the ESV, which is more literal, mm-hmm. more word for word, mm-hmm. which is a great shift and a great trend. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say there are a lot of people that don't even know that the ESV is a literal word-for-word translation. So, you know, kind of by default, since it's gained a little buzz and some hype, actually in the, the hands of, of, of Christians now are, is a really good translation. Yeah, and I, I think it's important, like, that matters. Um, you think, okay, well, all translators are t- uh, attempting to do the same thing. Yes, they're all attempting to preserve the Word of God and put that in front of us and make it accessible in English. And they're trying to do it in a way, by the way, that 
makes sense in English. You can't just have a bunch of nonsensical words that haven't been put together in grammar and syntax and structure. You know, that's part of the translation process. Um, but it's so important to... Th- there's a reason why we, we tend towards the word-for-word word versus thought-for-thought. Thought. And the big difference is that a thought-for-thought thought translation has, the, has already done the interpreting for us. Right, so like if there are words that are listed there in the original Greek and Hebrew, and they the translators read those words and then they put them together and say, okay, this is what the biblical writer meant, and then they express it in a thought for thought. They have done the interpreting; they've already done the work of the interpreter, and then they've expressed that into the language. Right. So now, as I read that thought for thought translation, I'm reading somebody else's interpretation of those languages. Right. And and speaking of NIV, I mean there are some studs that were on that translation yeah. committee, you know, so even though they are translating it thought for thought, it's not, again, just some type of JV right. translation, right? right. right? Yeah. I, one one uh, New Testament scholar that comes to mind, Douglas Moo, mm-hmm. uh, I think he has written some of the leading commentaries That's on right. Romans, um, I think the book of James, maybe Galatians. Yes, I those think. are the three. Does that he have one on Galatians? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, he he was he has worked on the NIV translation, yeah. and, and that text. So you're saying um, the, NIV, the NIV is not a bad translation? Yeah, it's, it's not bad. Right. It's <laughs> the idea that what we're trying to emphasize, though, is that the more word for word, which is the NASB, and to a lesser degree, but still much on that side, the ESV, you by preserving the words that God has given, because we believe uh, in the verbal plenary inspiration that every word matters, by preserving those words, we now have an ability as those who have been anointed with the Spirit of God, because all of us um, have, have the Spirit of God upon us, we can now read um, those words and interpret them based on their presentation in the text, as opposed to taking somebody else's interpretation, even if it's right. Right, like uh, even if they've done it correctly, we still feel the responsibility to read God's word as it is and not taken from somebody else. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's real good. Um, Should we jump into some examples? Yeah, in the, the text. Yeah, what, what comes to mind when we're th- when we're talking about this? What What are you thinking um, to help kind of give give some traction to us? Yeah, well, to show really both ends of the spectrum here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we can zone in on John three sixteen. I think everybody that's probably listening. I I mean, most people know we, John three sixteen. We should be familiar with that. Yeah. So it's going to be an easy verse uh, to read in a couple different translations to see how wayward you mm-hmm. could get, mm-hmm. um, and and how far away from the original text that you could essentially get yeah um and that 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 would be my argument for uh, the message translation which um i think that's probably lost some trend some traction it has it was popular for a bit and as soon as that thing came on the market man there there was so much hype over it it. it, well and eugene peterson has done a really is a unique translation right it's very um like I said, I, I don't know of anything else quite like it. I think it actually has a, a place. I don't think it has a place in the pulpit. <laughs> um, you know, there's a difference yeah, between that. That's and bold, so, but I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, I, I, I really do think that because of what I just said, the Word of God being preserved, we want the words, we want to deal with the words on their basis. So, okay. so yeah. highlight the difference for us and, and help us see um, those two extremes and and 
highlighting the formal versus the dynamic approach, the okay. word for word versus thought for thought. Right. Okay. So let, let me read John three sixteen from the uh, New American Standard. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's probably how most people would know that verse. Yeah. Right. So if you if you can quote John three sixteen, you, you are basically saying it just like that. Right. How's the message say it? Okay, now let's listen to the message. Which, by the way, and help help me out on this. If you were to go to BibleGateway.com, that's a great place to go just mm-hmm, to look up mm-hmm. um, different scriptures. And you were to type in John three sixteen for the message, it's going to show up John chapter three verses sixteen through eighteen, but it doesn't have verse references. Interesting. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Which which would make sense because. I'm actually doing this right now. Yeah, I don't have a copy week. of the message. I don't either, <laughs> with but me, I'm, so I can't I'm, open that. I'm but pulling it up. Um, oh, I was seeing if you knew anything about that. No, that, well, that would make sense because those. You're right. John three sixteen to eighteen are together. I would argue. I don't know this for a fact, but I would guess it is because those thoughts go together. All together, yeah. And because a lot of times in in our English translations, you'll see periods where in the Greek there is no period. Right. Right. Like it just keeps on rolling. Like almost all of Ephesians one is one giant sentence. I, honestly, I think that's the longest sentence in in the history Greek. of. I, I really the world. think it is. Yeah. It, it is incredibly lengthy. Like, and no it, sarcasm. No, there. Like, that's, that's I think that's that, legitimate. Yeah. And when you read it in the Greek, it's incredibly overwhelming and so you can't it doesn't really read that well into the english so we break it up and so likely what the message translation has done is packed a greek sentence and just summarized it okay. into one paragraph uh, and lumped those verses together okay, yeah because they're the message translation is not concerned with preserving the individual nuances it's more about the message that's why it's called that sure right? the mess okay right. okay so we read from the nas here's the message of of uh, John three sixteen, the message translation. And just, <laughs> I mean, you can just see how different this is from the beginning. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed by believing in him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. Even reading that, yeah, is like, <laughs> I could tell you were uncomfortable. You, you just, you just didn't. You felt like, tense. Oh, uh, so tense. Yeah. like I think I'm sweating now. Yeah, that's well, and I that think, just doesn't. I, I don't know something about that. I, I think is a deterrent to what the text actually means. Well, that's exactly what I would say. Is I think that what we've done is we've tried to show that one is attempting to preserve the word as God gave it to us, whereas another. I don't believe the intention is bad, but the um, the subtle shift has occurred where we are now reading the thoughts that we believe through this translation the ancient writer had, um, as opposed to saying, no, 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 this is exactly how God has presented it to us. This is the best way we can convey that um, those words. Um, and I think it's I think the distinction is worth noting. One makes us think and deal with what God has said. One takes the message as it is, and there's no real wrestling with the text. Right. I'd say what bums me out about the message translation of John 3.16 is uh, the last part when it says anyone can have a whole and lasting life. Would you say that that's different than everlasting life? Well, I I feel like there's so much value and Mm -hmm. punch in everlasting or eternal life. I mean... I feel like the message is getting away from biblical terminology. 
That's okay. That's a really good point, and not to rabbit trail on this, but I th- I think that you you've tapped into something there. That the Bible, especially as we build theology, we want to use biblical language. We want to use biblical terms, biblical terminology, um, and to to deviate from that is to miss so much, right? Like we 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 want to talk about propitiation. Well, did we make that word up? No, that that comes straight out of the text. Like we're dealing with a biblical term, but that's not going to show up in a thought for thought translation because they're trying to make it more accessible, more readable, and so they're going to veer away from those things. Right, yeah, we're not trying to show some biblical theological superiority of by wanting not. to use biblical language, of but not. We want to use the language that God has given us. Right. And if we're sharing the gospel or preaching or teaching or talking about the things of God, we want to use the words that God has given us. That's right. And I, that's one of my favorite parts about John three sixteen: everlasting life, eternal life. And mm-hmm. it's not there. It's not captured in that translation. Right. Um, let's let's go to a maybe less extreme example. Um, when when I actually got a chance to to sub. Uh, as a Greek teacher one time in um, Gosh, under, oh, this that, guy so fun <laughs> totally guy. totally underqualified um, but had to had to pretend like I knew what I was doing for a couple of class periods and so one of the one of the verses that I use to kind of demonstrate does translation matter um, why are we studying Greek I was dealing with some undergraduate students who probably didn't want to be there and they're having to learn this Greek so they can pass their uh, get through their program, and I'm, I wanted to demonstrate. Hey, it really does matter. And a great verse that that um, highlights this is um, in Mark chapter six, verse forty-one. This is Mark's account of Jesus's feeding of the five thousand, and and I'm going to read from the ESV. This is how the ESV. And I, I, by the way, I believe the ESV gets this wrong, and so I want to I want to point something out. Um, the ESV says this. It says, "And taking the five loaves and the two fish." Jesus looked up to heaven, that's one, he said a blessing, two, three, he broke the loaves, and four, he gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them. So one, two, three, four, he looked up to heaven, he said a blessing, he broke the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. Well, the New American Standard, which I believe gets this one right, says that he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed the food, that's two, he broke the loaves, three, and four, instead of he gave, the NASB actually says he kept giving them to the, to the disciples. And there's a, there's a distinction. It happens in the Greek very, uh, it's extremely pronounced in the Greek. You have three tenses in a row. They all look identical. And then there's one verb that just jumps out in the imperfect. It, it's impossible to miss as you're translating. And the point is that Jesus he takes the, the loaves, he looks to heaven, he blesses the food, and then it says he kept on giving. So when you would expect him to turn and now give it to the disciples, this verb is depicting a miracle, right? Like he's done these things one time, there's a one-time act, and then a continuous, non-stop. He just keeps on, it's, it's like it just keeps coming. Well, how did, this comes out in this Greek word, and then ASB translates it that way. Well, why do these other versions, and, and some versions get this one right, some versions uh, I think get it wrong. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, when, when you say you think that they got it wrong, yeah. how, how, would we, how would we want to clarify that? Yeah, thank you. Because I know exactly what you're saying. Right. You know, it's not as if they just bubbled in their Scantron incorrectly here. And <laughs> That's good. They just missed that thing. That's a good point. What, what I would say is 
they are seeking to make it sound more readable in English, right? Like it's kind of sounds weird to say he, he blessed the, he looked to heaven, he blessed the food, he broke the bread and he kept on giving it. Right. That just sounds kind of funny. Yeah. So they're making a choice. Exactly. And it's, I think it's a, it's not an unknowing choice that they're educated on it, but they make a choice. And it's not an easy choice. Right. We're trying to wrestle right between making it sound making it readable if i can't read it then it doesn't really do a whole lot of good yeah douglas moo he he says that every translation team has to make choices that's what you do on text like yes. the one you're explaining here you you have to make a choice that's right and and i would argue now i'm no I'm no Douglas Moo. I'm no expert. I don't want to pretend to be. Um, I think, though, that they've missed something if you don't translate it the way it was originally intended because I think that depicts the miracle. That depicts something in the in the uh, Greek language. And to you're going to lose things in translation in any from any language to any other language. Um, you're going to you're going to lose things. Um, but I think there's value essentially my argument though is that there's value in maintaining the integrity of the original words and seeking to depict those word for word for word for word translations as closely as we can is that yeah uh, yeah yeah absolutely i i I would agree with that um it it is important that's why we're talking about it Mm -hmm. it is critical to get the right translation um and understand what what your translation is trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. right um so yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, we so we we pretty much bashed all the other translations, <laughs> right? So if I'm sitting here listening and I don't, so basically have, all you've heard is don't go to a Christian bookstore and get a Bible translation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's my takeaway, right? That, that's but, not the initiative. No, that's not not today. Um, so in all seriousness, though, it, what do I do? I'm listening to a couple of guys talk about this stuff, and I'm holding it and I. And I NIV, I've got my NLT, that's what I read every day. Okay. What do I do? Okay, what, what I would recommend doing, open up the front of your NIV and look at the introductory section there uh, that basically explains this whole translation process that yeah. the translation team or the translation committee went through. Mm-hmm. That way you can understand what you have. That's, okay, I think that's at the really beginning good. of, uh, before the table of contents, um, that there should be. I know I've got New King James Version sitting right here, and I was looking through it again today, but there's at least four or five pages at the beginning that talk about the translation um, and the unique things that you will find in the translation itself. For example, like when the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, it may be in italics, it may be in parentheses, it may be indented. You know, little, yeah, all caps, yeah, little things like that. Yeah, like I'm looking at the preface here in the ESV, and here are the subtitles that I'm looking at. The translation philosophy, translation principles and style, the translation of specialized terms, like you mentioned doulos earlier, um, the, the resources, the publishing teams, the footnotes. That, that's a really yeah, read good it. place to it's start. Short. Yeah, it's funny that uh, people would skip right over that preface, but that will help you um, determine how are they approaching these things. And then let's say you have the NLT or the Message Bible. Do I burn it? Do I get rid of that? Like, do, is it completely useless? <laughs> no, we, we we would not want to just dispose of those translations just because they're thought for thought or maybe okay. on the extreme mm-hmm. end that's opposite the the NAS. Uh, again, there's still value uh, to some degree in all uh, right. the, the, these English translations. You know, you've got men that have put in 
a considerable amount of time. And if you happen to have a copy of it, keep it. That's right. You know, there's no no one's going to frown upon you because you have too many copies of the English Bible. That's right. It's it's an accessible. Um, the the Word of God is accessible to us in so many different ways. And Lance, you would I think agree with me on this. When we teach, as you and I prepare to teach, we are constantly consulting multiple versions. I I do that for a couple of reasons. One, I want to know what people are reading as I'm teaching it, but also there's value. Like these men are, they have labored and I don't want to dismiss their work uh, as if I'm high and mighty and know far more than they do. And that was a waste of their time. Of course not. Um, And it also might give me a hint if there's four or five translations that have completely different sounding versions of the same verse, there's probably some difficult text there. Yeah. Right. Like, so I probably need to dig in to see what's really going on in the, in the original language. Yeah. Well, most of us, me included, don't know Hebrew and we don't know Greek. Not yet. You don't. That's true. (laughs) I'm going to start learning that stuff in August. You'll learn baby. Oh man. Yeah. Anyways, anyways, (laughs) I've got some time off this summer before that hits, but Generally speaking, we would say the Christian community doesn't know those languages, mm-hmm. so we have to put our trust in what men have done before us getting us the, the, the translation of the Bible in English. And we can trust them. They, I, I want us to be clear on that, that the, the English Bible, in all of these versions, we're not discounting them. We're saying there's value there. We just want to guide our process as we dig deeper and more deeply into the Word to look at these word-for-word translations more frequently, right? So we're, we want to balance ourselves. If And by the way, if I'm only reading the NASB, if that's the only version I've ever even looked at, I'm probably going to miss some things because some of these thought-for-thoughts give you a broader paint brushstroke, right? Like they give you a chance to see, okay, maybe this is a, a broader thing that I can now, now narrow in on. I think it's helpful. It, it doesn't mean that that's the only one I study. It's the only one I look at use it multiple versions of the Bible. Yes. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, be be diverse. Okay. Yeah. Are we are we Yeah, any anything else to add to that? I don't we're, I don't think so. Don't ask me a question I don't know at this point. <laughs> I'm ready to get jump straight to the initiative to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, yeah let's go ahead and start. What do you, yeah, what do you got for us on the initiative then? Uh You want me to go first again? I can go, I'll go yeah, first. Yeah, you go first. Yeah. Let me think about uh, it. Yeah, my my initiative I think um, in relation to Bible translation would be uh, to be diligent, but not overwhelmed when making mm. a decision on what translation to purchase, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, let's say you're just getting into theology, you're just getting into Bible reading, um, maybe you've been given the opportunity to teach or uh, whatever the situation is, uh, you need a good, solid, literal, word-for-word copy of the Bible, mm-hmm. okay? Um, so you need to be diligent in your research and study for that. We, you know, we touched the surface, but there's right. definitely right. more to look into. But also, don't be overwhelmed. Yeah, don't be That's overwhelmed. Good. There are good English translations that are solid that are um, that hold to yeah. the text and are um, an accurate. Uh, translation of of the yeah. ancient languages. I, so, I think that's really good. Yeah, just be diligent and. I think that's a yeah. That's <laughs> don't a good, stress out over that's, it. That's a good. That's a good word for us. And I would also say, if you're confused or if you're if we've scratched the surface but haven't really um, answered a question, just ask us, and we would be happy to point you maybe in uh, the direction of some deeper thought and some deeper study, and to try to help you um, work through some of those things. Um, f- for me, I would say my my takeaway is that. 
kind of piggybacking off what you said is that translations matter. Um, as, as I read through, um, as I just peruse through like Twitter or Facebook, I'll see people post things and post the verse. And, and I constantly, I pay attention. What, what version is that coming from? Because I think sometimes we want to read what we want to read into a text. You know, I, I know the pastors who do this and it drives me crazy. The ones who pull, uh, different translations of the same verse from different versions to make it say something that really echoes their sermon point really Jesus. well. Right, they're reading <laughs> these things in, and I think we have to be careful not to not to say, "Ooh, this one really sounds good to me." This one just really, I just really feel so good when I read this one. But no, like translations matter because we are dealing with the Word of God, and so it's not to dismiss. I don't want to discount. I've got. NIVs on my bookshelf. It doesn't mean that I think they're wrong. I just think if you choose to do that, know why you choose it, be able to stand by it because it matters. Absolutely. Yeah. That's good. Any- well, we, we made it through the episode with no yeah. thunderstorms or yeah. power loss. Or- yeah, let's 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 wrap this thing up. If you're not doing so already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and to our YouTube channel. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at R underscore Informants. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.